you know that you are spiritually immature when is the title of our message today based on Hebrews 5, verses 11 and 12. And let me begin by saying there's something really normal about growth. I mean, conks grow and puppies grow and sweet peppers grow and babies grow and stomachs grow, as I can attest to over the years. (laughs) And born-again Christians grow. We should not remain babes in Christ. In Christ's spiritual maturity, spiritual adulthood, these are not fully realized until we see Jesus, either by the rapture of the church or by physical death. When we see Christ, we're told that we will be made to be like him. In 1 John 3, verse 2, uh, John writes, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, that's the rapture, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So just imagine it. The course, the race, the plan, the design, the blueprint of God in our salvation is that we grow. Every day we grow more like Jesus, more than we were the day before, but not as much as we'll be like him tomorrow. That's the will and plan of God, that we grow, mature. And we're going to be like Jesus Christ one day when we see him. That is so fantastic. As J. Dwight Pentecost describes that to be like Jesus is to be sinless, to be deathless, and to be spiritually mature. In fact, the measuring rod, the template, the uh, standard by which ultimate and final spiritual maturity is measured, engaged, is being like Jesus. And so, okay, you're listening and viewing today, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, And you're wondering, now that we're talking about spiritual maturing, you're wondering, am I spiritually maturing? That's a good question. You're thinking, are there evidences that I am spiritually growing? That's a good question for each of us to ask. And you're in the right live stream because we're in the right scripture passage to get some help on all this. What would be some telltale Signs to see in one's life if, in fact, one is progressing and growing to be more like Jesus. Well, I'm going to give you seven practical and concrete indicators that are drawn out of other scriptures in the, in the Bible that aren't necessarily the two verses before us this morning. Seven indicators that practically can help us understand whether or not we are spiritually growing and maturing and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Number one, you are troubled about your own sin more than you are troubled about your society's sin. When I see what's going on in the United States, I feel sick to my stomach over the sin of it. But deep down in my heart, I know that I am capable of any of that in my flesh. And so I grieve over my own potential sin more than even I grieve over the evening news and what I see. That's an indicator of spiritual growth. Second, you are hungry for the Bible, so you study it. You live it. Your ears are open to it. 
and not dull about it. Number three, you crave and you enjoy Christian fellowship, which is far more than donuts and coffee, although that could be involved. Christian fellowship is sharing life together as brothers and sisters in Christ with a common heavenly father. And so many of us are are craving the fellowship that we have not been able to have in the measure in which we've always known it because of COVID. We trust the day will soon come when those times of sharing and encouraging and listening and praying and smiling, blessing will be ours again. Fourth indicator that you're spiritually growing, you're concerned for lost person's souls. You give a rip about somebody not going to heaven. It bothers you. It weighs on you. It troubles you in a sanctified way, a holy way that people are dying and going to hell without Christ. And you want to share your faith, and you do share your faith. It's an indicator that you're maturing. Five, you're serious about serving Jesus Christ with your spiritual gift. You are not content to know the theory that you have at least one spiritual gift since your conversion. You want to know what it is, and you want to use it to bless others. You want to develop it, strengthen it, give it a workout with the barbells of ministry. That's an indicator that you're maturing. Number six, you are no miss about praying alone or with other Christians when we meet together to pray. No miss. Most of us do not miss three meals in a day. (laughs) Some of us skip meals. I'm told it's not a good idea. But none of us, I would venture to say, unless we're fasting or we're very, very sick, miss all three meals in a day. We should not miss daily times of prayer. We should look forward to it. And when opportunity for us to pray with others, maybe by Zoom or when we get back together, other ways that are, that are according to the protocols, we want to be there. We want to be involved. We want to pray. It's a sign of spiritual growth and growing. And seven, you are zealous for God's name and reputation. It troubles you. It bothers you. It, it angers you when God's name, good name, is dragged through the mud by anybody because you love God's reputation and you want to contribute to God's reputation being as high and exalted as it deserves to be. These are just some indicators that we can look to to see, am I spiritually maturing? Am I growing in grace? If these seven indicators basically do characterize you, then good. And you're growing spiritually and you're maturing in Christ. Keep it up. Your life is healthy in the Lord. That's great. You're growing up into Christ, not just stagnating and going along, growing old in Christ and not changing. So what about the precious viewer that's not coming to the conclusion when I go through those seven indicators that they're true of them most of the time? What about the precious viewer who is a believer who has to really honestly before God say, none of those things are true of me? Or one or two is only what's true of me. What about that? Well, then it's time to repent, to start growing, to start maturing, to start putting Christ first, to avail yourselves of the various means of grace that you have. 
and to get on with it. Now, what would that look like for the person who wants to repent and start to grow? It would, it would first of all, require the knowledge and the belief that if any change is going to happen in any Christian's life, it has to be Holy Spirit-driven. None of us can just uh, gut it out like we do in the weight room, maybe, or jogging, just gut it out and be a better Christian. That isn't how it works. The way it works, if any of us want to repent and become more like Christ and grow in grace and spiritually mature, it starts and is sustained by the Holy Spirit within us. He's the power to live the Christian life. He's the fertilizer to make us spiritually grow. And so if you are listening and viewing today and you say, I need to repent, I need to start maturing in the Lord, I need to start growing in my walk with Christ, what would you pray for the Holy Spirit to do? Well, let me help you. I suggest that you pray that the Holy Spirit sensitize you to sin and to lost souls' peril without Jesus Christ. That would be a good prayer for you to ask the Holy Spirit to sensitize you to your own sin and to sensitize you to the peril, the danger of persons not yet in Christ by faith. Then you could also ask the Holy Spirit who is within you as a Christian to give you an appetite for God's word, to give you an appetite for God's people, fellowship, to give you an appetite for God's service, that you just are not content to see other believers roll up their sleeves and volunteer for Christian ministry, and you sit back as a cheerleader or an armchair quarterback. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an appetite to serve Christ. (laughs) We're a church of about 400 people. Everybody ever showed up? We need just about four workers to open in as much feeding ministry. People under 65. The phone should ring off the hook tomorrow morning for Pastor Arnett. Roll up our sleeves. Have an appetite to serve Jesus Christ. If you ask the Holy Spirit to build a dependence on our Lord for our own living and for the lives of others we care about, that they too would see that we are depending on the Lord so they would want themselves to depend on the Lord. You could ask the Holy Spirit for that. You could ask the Holy Spirit to make you a strong defender of God's reputation. You don't have to know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, every single verse and concept and theological notion and truth. You just need to care about God's word and reputation. And when someone runs it through the mud, someone uses God's name in vain, someone minimizes God and blasphemes God, that you say something. Just this week, Beth and I were working with a couple on the phone, and one of the partners in the marriage said that at their workplace, people were talking in ungodly ways and running God down in the process. And we counseled that person, walk away from those conversations. Don't participate. Make God the standard. Say, I'm not listening to that. I'm going to go somewhere else in the office. Defend God's reputation. We are his hands, his feet, his mind, his mouth on earth. We are his children. Defend our Heavenly Father. Defend our Savior. Defend the Spirit of God. Defend the Bible. Those would be good prayers to offer up to the Holy Spirit. Now, our passage for today 
addresses some original readers to the book of Hebrews who were spiritually stunted, spiritually stalled out, spiritually dull, spiritually stuck. And the passage for today, all of the passages, verses 11 to 14 of Hebrews 5, and then I'm going to read those verses, then circle back just to look at verses 11 and 12 for uh, the time being. So in Hebrews 5, I'm reading verses 11 to 14. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I repeat, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, B-A-B-E, a baby. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. As I said, I'm only going to focus on verses 11 and 12 in the time we have together today. And look at the first phrase of verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say. Well, as a good inductive Bible student, we have to ask, who is him? (laughs) Who does the pronoun refer to? Concerning him, that is concerning who? And the answer to that in context is Christ. Look back at the preceding context, please. It says in 5a, so also Christ, and then he is the subject of the verses 5 all the way through 10. So when it says in verse 11, concerning him, we know it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then all the pronouns between Verse 5b and verse 10 squarely refer to Jesus. That's how you do, part of how you do inductive Bible study. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling the first readers back then and you and me in 2020 that concerning him, Christ, we have much to say. Are you the same? In the course of an average vanilla garden variety day, Do you have much to say about Jesus? That's a good question. Do we have much to say about the Savior? Preachers aren't the only ones that are are to have a lot to say about Jesus. Every believer should have a lot to say about Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord and Master. He is our King. He is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. He is our truth, our way, and our life. He is our advocate, our high priest, our good shepherd. He is our bishop and overseer of our souls. He is our peace, our lamb, our Messiah, our light, the author of our salvation. He is our resurrection. He is our righteousness, and he is our hope. And we could go on and on. In fact, all of eternity will not exhaust who Jesus Christ is. Do you have much to say about him? That's pretty easy. Talk about the weather. Pretty common to talk about our children and our grandchildren or our jobs or our health. Pretty easy to talk about our music or our sports or our politics or the pandemic. But the spiritually mature Christian, the spiritually maturing Christian has 
much to say about Jesus. We have a little video clip that we're going to show you, a classic from Pastor Lockridge. I wonder if you know him. Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, no barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his solar supply. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know my king? He's a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a gateway of glory. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you know him? He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimony to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking.
somebody had no benefactor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not gonna resign. That's my king. the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. That's our king. That's our king. And concerning him, we have much to say. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. Now, going on to verse 11, part B. It, it says, it, uh, it, that is the much being said about Christ, that's the it, is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There's a problem with us saying much about Jesus Christ is when we chronically become dull of hearing to the Word of God and the Spirit of God's ministry of the Word of God in our Christian lives. When we become dull of hearing, then there's a problem with us speaking much about Jesus. We just go silent and mute. And so we can add an eighth indicator to the seven I gave you earlier in this message, an eighth indicator of spiritual maturing and growing, and it's this. You're quick to listen to the Word of God and quick to talk about Christ. It starts with listening to the Word of God, and then it goes to talking, listening, talking, listening, talking, listening to the Word of God, and then talking about the Son of God. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. And so we go on, still in verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And so our first point in this message comes now, and it is this. You know that you're spiritually immature when you are spiritually dull of hearing. You know that you're spiritually immature when you're spiritually dull of hearing. I have these orange earplugs with me. Sometimes I use them when I go snorkeling. Sometimes I use them when I need to go to sleep. There are reasons why I put these orange earplugs in my ears. It's to hinder my hearing. God says don't have any figurative orange earplugs in your ears when you're reading Scripture. Don't be reading it with dull hearing for yourself, thinking, well, that's a good verse for Jerry, or that's a great verse for Bonita. That's a good verse for you. Don't have your ears dull of hearing to the Word of God. Don't ever come to a Bible verse or passage and say, oh, I've, seen, I've, I've, I've read that so many times. Give me something different. No. The Bible is like a wonderful depth, a, a mine of truth and comfort and challenge and equipping and strengthening and nourishment. It's like a bottomless well. You can never exhaust the Word of God. doesn't matter how many times you read a verse, 
Think about a verse. Have memorized a verse. You still have something to take from it with ears that are not dull, but ears that are keenly in tune, open, eager to hear all that God has for you in his word every single time you open it. And so I know it's frustrating for me. I have persons in my life, I'll just guess I'll name him, my dear father. He has a hearing aid. He doesn't like to wear it. So we have these frustrating conversations sometimes. Or if he does wear it, my dad won't turn it up. He has reasons I, I don't understand, but he, he doesn't turn up his hearing aids. And so it's very uh, difficult when you want to have a conversation with my dear father, who I love so much, respect, <laughs> because his ears have grown dull with age, as many do. And the remedy, uh, sometimes he doesn't choose to use the remedy, and other times the battery fails, and that's nothing to do with him, of course. But think how frustrating it must be to our Heavenly Father who gave us the Bible that when we come to it, we have a cavalier, a casual, a blah, a blase, uh, I'm bored attitude about it. It's like we don't even bother to turn up the hearing aids that God has provided for us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're content not to have the hearing aids that God's provided working. We rush through a passage or a verse, and we assume we know everything we can know about it. We don't need to learn anything else. Don't be that way, because that's a sign of being spiritually immature, to have spiritually dull ears. There are plenty of people with spiritually dull ears in Scripture. Just quick list, Cain, Pharaoh, Judah, the tribes of Judah before they went into captivity, the Jews who lived during the times of all the Old Testament prophets, they had bad hearing. Jesus' half-brothers and sister, Pilate, the Jews, alive when Jesus taught. And he often said, you know what he said in the, in the Gospels, you who have ears to hear, hear. Because when we don't hear, we are not advancing and maturing and growing as believers. The second point, and the last point this morning, you know that you are spiritually immature when you are a funnel Christian and not a fire hose. I brought this little cooking funnel with me as an object lesson. You know that you are spiritually immature when you are a funnel and not a fire hose. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Funnel Christians only receive certain amount of God's truth. And funnel Christians only receive the amount of God's truth that they do receive at a certain rate in a funnel determined by the diameter of the spout. If I pour any liquid into this funnel faster than the diameter of the spout can get it out, then part of what's poured in by way of liquid is wasted. It goes over the lip of the funnel. It doesn't go to where the funnel wants to take it. There are plenty of funnel Christians who, because of a lack of spiritual exercising in the Word of God, proper obeying to the word of God, have a very narrow diameter to the spout of their funnel. And their funnel limits how much truth they can receive from God based 
on where they're at spiritually. Know-it-all Christians, apathetic Christians, carnal Christians have a small funnel. And when they get any of the word of God from Scripture, they don't process it quickly. The diameter of their funnel spout is small. And if God keeps giving truth from Scripture in a service, perhaps or in a worship service or a Bible study or a small group, a home Bible fellowship, a mini church, and they have this small funnel because of a lack of interest in the word and lack of obedience to the word with a small diameter to their funnel, God is only able to put so much truth into the bigger part of their funnel and they don't process it quickly enough. And so part of the truth rolls off of them until this arrangement gets fixed. God doesn't want us to be funnel Christians. He wants us to be fire hose Christians. An analogy of a funnel Christian would be when summer comes, it's getting plenty hot here in Nassau already, but when summer fully comes, the middle of the hurricane season, it's sweltering hot here, and you have a front porch at your house, let's say, and you take a dish, a dessert dish, and put milk in it and a slice of bread floating in the milk, and you leave it a day, a week, a month. You know what's going to happen. That bread is going to soak up all that milk, and then the milk is going to putrefy, go sour, cheesy, stink, be good for nothing. There are Christians who are like those slices of bread in the dish of milk. They just come to receive what they want to receive, They don't do Bible study on their own Monday to Saturday. They just come to be fed by the pastor as he preaches a sermon, and they have no interest in the Word of God the rest of the week. And they are just year after year sitting in the milk of the Word of God, soaking it in, souring, and not giving or living that Word out at all. They're funnel Christians. Don't be that Christian. That Christian is not spiritually growing. That Christian is not spiritually maturing. Now, verse 12 again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. You don't feed a T-bone steak to a newborn baby. But if a 14-year-old young man is still sucking on a bottle of milk, there's a problem. He should be ready for T-bone steaks when he's 14 years old. And Christians who've known Christ should have an appetite for the steak of the Word of God, the solid food of the Word of God. That should be the normal Christian life. So it seems to me that... In this verse, it seems that God is assuming that every Christian should be a teacher. Don't you think so? Verse 12. And though by this time you ought to be teachers, he didn't say so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, original readers of the book of Hebrews, you ought to be teachers by now. He throws out this blanket statement. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, all of you, original readers, you ought to be teachers by now. All of you. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm afraid in front of crowds. You think I should be a teacher? Yeah, I do. I think there are other verses that indicate the same. 
Colossians 3, verse 16. Listen, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's an exhortation, a direction for all Christians to minister to other Christians. It's not a verse just to pastors or elders or deacons. That's a verse to all believers. To let the word of God the word of Christ, richly dwell in you and have wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. God wills for every true Christian to be a teacher. Still not comfortable with that thought? 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ, that means set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. God says for every blood-bought, genuine, converted Christian, we ought to be teachers. We ought to be uh, defenders of the scriptures. We ought to be defenders of the faith, defenders of Christ, like I mentioned earlier in the message. Still not convinced? 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Listen. Writing to young pastor Timothy, Paul said, you, however, continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Somebody taught Timothy, let's see who, that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Somebody taught Timothy the scriptures. It was, we know from earlier in the book, it was his mother and his grandmother. Every Christian, God wills to be a teacher. That's you. That's you. And the teacher is the person who doesn't settle for pablum or milk of the word, who receives the deeper things of the word, searches them out, understands them, puts them into life, and that helps you be a teacher. I think some of you might not yet be convinced. <laughs> yeah. Um, Now, given that every believer should be spiritually maturing such that he or she can teach some other Christian or even a non-Christian something about the Lord, every believer should strive not to be a funnel Christian, but to be a fire hose Christian. What do I mean by that? Well, let me illustrate. There was a college student who had great potential academically, but was really underachieving with his grades. And he went to his professor and he asked, should I find a tutor to teach me uh, mathematics in your class? And the prof said, no, no, no. You don't need to get a tutor to teach you. You need to get a math pupil that you can teach. That's a brilliant professor. Because the professor realized that the student was going to learn more math having to teach math to someone else than sitting and learning math from a tutor. So it is with the Christian life. You want to advance and mature in Christ? Then become a teacher of the word to somebody. It's going to spur on your growth. It's going to push you to growth and maturity. It's a great thing. That's a fire hose. A fire hose delivers all the water that it can from a hydrant to a burning property. And technically speaking, a fire hose doesn't vacuum any of the water out of the hydrant. The hydrant and its pressure provides the water to fight the fire. So the hose has just got a big diameter that delivers as much water as possible to spray on something that is burning. 
That's the kind of Christian we should be. The fire hose plugged into the hydrant of the word of God and a vehicle, a tool, a way to get the water of the word of God to others. Don't settle for this. This is so inferior. Be a fire hose that everything that comes out of the hydrant, the fire hydrant of Scripture, comes right through you first and then through your life and words and example to others. Be a teacher. Some of you are not yet convinced. You want to give yourselves a pass. See, Pastor, who in the world am I going to teach about? Maybe a husband teaches his wife. Maybe parents teach their children. Maybe a friend teaches a friend. Maybe you contribute in Sunday school class when you can be together again, and you do that way. Or maybe you're coworkers at work. Or maybe you're a teacher of your women's or your men's Bible study by Zoom or some other way. When we get our many churches back together, hopefully we will one day, that you'll be teacher within that context. Or maybe you're going to be a Bible teacher to a very, very young convert Someone who someone else led to Christ but left as a spiritual orphan, and you'll come along and be a teacher to that brand new convert. Or you'll be a spiritual teacher to someone you led to Christ, your own spiritual offspring, son or daughter, that you'll teach the word of God to them. Or maybe someone you are totally unaware of who's watching you, who's listening to you. Seeing how you respond to life situations. Are you the real thing? Are you truly a Christ follower? Are you real? Or is it just a face you put on? Is it just a role you play? Is your Christianity only as good as your happy circumstances? Maybe there's somebody learning from you right now. You have no idea they are but they are. A teacher is someone that causes anyone else to learn anything. That's a teacher. If you cause anyone else to learn anything about the Bible and about Jesus, then you are a spiritual teacher. God wills for every believer in his son to be some kind of a biblical teacher. I love the story at the seminary. There was a a seminary professor with double doctorates in theology and so forth, a very smart man. Uh, And he was walking through the uh, seminary building, and there was a simple, uh, unschooled uh, janitor who was seated on a chair, resting a little while, while after he had mopped a floor. And the professor uh, said, how you doing? And the gender said, I'm doing well in the Lord. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. And the professor noticed the janitor was open Bible and had been reading the Bible. And he said, what are you reading? And the janitor said, the book of Revelation. And the professor, showing a bit of pride and arrogance, said, do you think you possibly could understand that book? Revelation is a complicated book. The janitor said, oh, yes, sir. I understand it. I've read the end, and Jesus wins. (laughs) I've read the end, and Jesus wins. On that occasion, the simple, sincere janitor taught the highfalutin seminary professor something very basic. 
If anybody is learning anything from any of you, then you are a teacher. And so, uh, you know you're spiritually immature when you're spiritually dull of hearing. Second, you know you're spiritually mature when you're a funnel and not a fire hose. And that's what we, of course, do not want to be. And I close with this. The seminary professor from Dallas Seminary, I briefly quoted uh, Dwight Pentecost, Dr. Pentecost in The Lord in Heaven now. But he said this. It's a long quote, but it's simple. Would you please listen? Wouldn't it be interesting if God would somehow dress believers according to their progress in spiritual growth? How many of us would be dressed like infants or perhaps toddlers after many, many years of knowing him? How many of us would be dressed according to where we really should be by this time in our walk with Christ? Perhaps this would be a good time for you to take inventory to count the number of years that you have known Christ personally and to determine where you should be by this time. End of quote. Actually, one more sentence in the quote, pardon me. If that is not where you are, don't despair, but do begin to move forward. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would desire the true meat of the word. We would desire to have unplugged spiritual ears so that we would be responsive to you and we would even be the teachers that you will for each of us to be. Encourage the one who's repenting from not growing spiritually this morning and keep those who are spiritually maturing resolute and determined to press on into the full image of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.